2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. I'll let you get there or that get there. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully, we're going to stay on this verse for a minute, shall reap also bountifully. Now I have a question for you. I don't know why I start with a coat on. I guess because I'm not warm until I start going. Um, would you rather reap sparingly or bountifully? Okay, just checking. I don't want to twist anybody's arm here. Okay, so the scripture tells us if we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. If we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. No surprise, as a man sows, that shall he also reap. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. That's the verse that comes before the one I just quoted. All right. So it's interesting to me that word sparingly right there in the Greek. You know what it literally means? How it, it literally means stingily. Stingily. He that sows stingily shall reap stingily. So stingily is not an amount. It's an attitude. Does that make sense? He that soweth sparingly. Sparingly is not an amount. It's an attitude. I can sow a lot, but it be stingily. Does that make sense? You're going to understand this more with the next verse. Verse 7. Oh, and bountifully means bountifully. Yeah. Verse 7. Every man. Who's this applied to? Everybody. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. This is a heart issue before it ever becomes a wallet issue. That's why stingily or sparingly and bountifully is an attitude, not an amount. As he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, that's an attitude, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word love there is agapeo, where we get the word agape love from, unconditional love that flows from God. That's how God feels about a cheerful giver. I love, I just have to share this because cheerful, the Greek word there is hilaros. I said that with a Spanish accent just because that's how it feels like it should be said when I read it. I'm sure that's not how the Greeks say it. Hilaros. Okay. It's where we get our word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. Some of y'all fall into that category. No, no, we have, I think we have, no, it, it, <laughs> we usually use hilarious like, oh my gosh, that's fall over, fall over laughing funny, right? No, prompt, joyous, merry, willing. That's what the word literally means. God loves a person who's prompt in their giving, who's merry in their giving, who's joyous in their giving. How do you give? Notice, not grudgingly or of necessity. Necessity means I do it because it's my duty to do it. Now, we do things because they're our duty, but God loves it when we move beyond duty. And, man, I just enjoy this. 
thank God for technology. And I'm, I'm not knocking this in any way. Some people, we've, we've made it available because people ask for a while and it just makes it easier. Like, you know, can we have it so we can swipe our debit card and do it? And so we have that for the people. That, but I still like to use cash or some of you kids won't know what I'm talking about. I like to write a check because I like to hold it in my hand when it's time for offering. I'm not telling you you need to do this. This isn't. I, and I really do. Like when I put, I'm praying, when we pray for the offering, like I'm praying, Lord, thank you for the privilege of giving. Now, I wasn't always this way, but I've, I, I love giving. This isn't me going, oh, look at me. I really do. God has given me a love for giving. And so, and it's easy because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, why did we start with those two verses? I'll tell you why. Because everything else we're going to talk about comes back to this fact. It's a heart issue. It's not a legalism issue. We're going to talk about that a little bit from the scripture. It's a heart issue. And so I need to check my heart in relationship to how I give. Okay. Matthew chapter six. We'll pick up the pace a little bit now. Matthew six, verse one. Jesus, this is in the, from the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of it. He said, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. He wasn't saying don't give in the offering publicly. It's like if I'm giving the offering and going. Bless the Lord, I'm giving a two thousand dollar offering today. How much are you giving? So he's talking about. Don't worry, I'll give you scripture that shows he wasn't talking about not being seen giving. Okay, again, it's an attitude, a heart issue. Don't do it to be seen of them. So our purpose isn't to be seen. Okay, otherwise you have no reward of your father which is in heaven. If your attitude in giving is to be seen of men, you have no, that, that's a pretty, no reward of your father which is in heaven. Now, if you say, well, I just want to be seen men, so I'm going to stop giving. That way I'll deal with that issue. You, well, there's more scripture. Verse 2, therefore, when you do your alms, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they can have glory of men. Verily, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, that your alms may be in secret. And your father, which sees in secret himself, shall reward you. How? Openly. You see a child of God that's blessed in their life financially, or maybe not even financially, but it seems like, man, they just, things seem to work in their life. It seems like there's stuff. You watch that? I, I will promise you, over time, over a period, over a length of time, it's a result of what they've done in secret. It's a result of what they've done in secret. Not like they hit, you understand what I mean? And see, they were just faithful in their finances. They were faithful to the kingdom. They loved doing it. They were cheerful in it. And over time, doesn't mean life was always smooth sailing. Many of you here can testify to that extent. I could call on people because I know some of your stories, quite a few of your stories. We've talked through them through the years. But over time, you've seen, man, I just realized God's faithful. And you start seeing your circumstances turn. And you're like, my goodness, this is what God does. Why? 
because you give in secret, he rewards openly. He rewards openly. All right. Malachi. Oh, let me say this before we go there. It's interesting. Alms. We read it here. Somebody said, well, what alms? We see alms twice in the book of Luke and we see it eight times in the book of Acts. It shows up. Um, Alms literally means to show one's compassion or to give benevolence to the poor. So it can be in action or, but it speaks specifically as well of giving financially to the poor, giving to those in need as well. And so he said, don't do it to be seen of men. Malachi. Chapter 3. I'm giving some scriptural foundation, then we'll talk a little more through this. Malachi 3 and 6, probably the most well-known area regarding tithes and offering, but sometimes familiarity makes us dismiss the power of these words. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 6. For I am the Lord. Who's talking? Okay, that's important to notice. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone. Watch what he says. You're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? Verse 8, he asked the question. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you? He responds, in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. I was... My wife and I, we went through a season right before and then during the time that uh, Brother Ethan was born, so that gives you an idea of how far back that was, 22, 23 years ago. We were in this sort of this four-year window where we were, you want to talk about walking by faith. Um, we didn't know. We literally lived day to day. And I got a word from the Lord that said, take no thought for what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or the clothes you're going to put on. And so I came home from getting that word in a place of prayer. And I told my wife, from now on, we're not worried about buying food. I've got a word from the Lord to not take thought for what we're going to eat. Now, now, don't make that yours unless the Lord makes that yours. It was a word to me in my moment where we were. I was late on a bill for the first time in my life, and I thought my world was going to just, I thought it was the end of the world. And so nobody knew because we still had our house. We still had our car. We still had the clothes. We were still in church worshiping God every week. We weren't feeling the need to broadcast it out. And so um, it just... It's just what it was. I'd made a decision to leave Walmart, and then a year and a half later, that didn't, I'm like, what in the world? I obeyed you, Lord, and here we are. And so we thought we were going to, I thought, man, if something changed, we're going to lose the house. We didn't. I thought we we're going to lose a car. We didn't. Um, 
And so anyway, we didn't, we didn't buy groceries. If I got paid, because I was selling books door to door, I was selling $2,458 set of books to people who had just had a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough job, but I was trying to put food on the table. So I was selling books door to door. And here's what I do. If, if I sold some, I got paid. If I didn't sell anything, I didn't make a dime. It was 100% commission. And uh, so what I told my wife, I said, if I get paid, if I sell something, I get money. We're going to pay any, first thing we're going to do is we're going to pay our tithes and offering. I had a commitment to that. We're going to pay our tithes and offering. And then with what's left, we're going to pay any bill that's due. Okay. And then if we don't have any bill due, then we'll buy food. Well, seemed like we always had a bill due. <laughs> that year, before taxes, because I was a self-contractor selling books, we made just shy of $24,000. My wife and I and two kids and another one coming. We had a mortgage that was just over $900 a month. We had a car payment. Oh, man, that's, this is why I don't have car payments now. One of the reasons. We had a car payment that was $417 a month. I had had a really good job a few years before. <laughs> and I thought it was just going to. And so if you do the math, you're like, hold on, the math doesn't add up. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And so do you think that for a moment the thought entered my mind? Man, I don't know about paying tithes and offering right now. It entered it for about a half a second. But the moment it tried to come in, I thought, this is what I thought. I might have even said it out loud. I don't know. I thought, Satan, you are an idiot. I was like, given my current situation, do you think I want to try to make it better by beginning to rob God? Hey, that's like saying, you know what? I'm in a bad situation. I'm going to go rob a bank. Maybe that will make it better. You know what? You'd be better off. Don't. No, I believe the word of God. And I was like, man, I don't want to rob God. If I'm struggling now, man, if I'm walking day, but I'm sure not going to start robbing him. It's not like he won't know. And so by God's grace, not by our goodness, by God's grace, we remain faithful. And he brought us through that and he has never failed. I kept that tax return for several years. When I'd talk with some couples that were struggling sometimes, I'd say, hey, can I show you something? I have evidence of the goodness of God. And so, don't rob God. Okay? That word rob there in the Hebrew, it means to cover to spoil, to hide, to deceive, or to defraud. What's the result if I do that? Cursed with a curse. 
have a question for you. If you're struggling financially, would you like a curse from God on your finances to see if that will fix things? I mean, do we believe the word or not? But watch. Let's keep going. Verse 10. So what do we do? What do we do? If this is the case, if we're trying to return to the Lord, if we've robbed him, he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's the result. The result is the open windows of heaven and a blessing poured out that you and I don't have room to receive. This matches what Jesus said in the Gospels when he said, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. And that's exactly what happens. You give, and God causes men to give to you. Given it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, or the same measure you give, it shall be measured to you again. Sort of like what Paul said in Corinthians. He that soweth stingily shall reap stingily. Attitude. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. So this is a promise of the Lord. This is the cause and this is the effect. Rob God, cursed. Return the tithe and offering. Opens windows of heaven, pours out a blessing. To me, that is not the best part. Verse 11 is the best part to me. And I will, this is the Lord still speaking, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Not for his sake, for your sake. And he, the devourer, shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Watch verse 12. And all nations shall call you blessed. For you shall be a delightsome what, what? They're going to call you blessed all because you begin to return the tithe and offering and what he began to heap on your life. I pray the word. And when I'm facing, because I'm as human as you and life happens to me just like it happens to you. Maybe not the same thing or the same circumstance, and we're at different seasons and different places. And I just gave you a quick overview of a four-year season from a while ago. But when I when I come against things where I can recognize something's happening to my finances here, this I'm battling some stuff here I ought not be dealing with. Why should I not be dealing with it? Because I got the word of God to stand on. And so I pray the word. I'll talk to the Lord. Now, does that mean that I won't go through a season where I have to learn to trust? Absolutely. There's times he does that in my life. And I'm like, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Know what you're doing. But I will pray the word, Lord, you said you'd rebuke the devourer for my sake. You said you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I stand on your word. I've sought to be faithful. If I've missed the mark, I trust you to show me, Lord. Because I'm human and I can miss the mark. But God, I'm standing on your word. And I'm praying your word in regard to this situation right now. You can do that. Now, notice, sometimes it's what happens. We'll cover this in the Lord to deal with somebody. And like, oh, man, that's why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. There's no hope. Yeah, there's hope. Just do what Jesus said or what the Lord said here in Malachi. Return. 
return. He didn't say go back the last year, two years, five years, seven years, 10 years, 12 years, whatever. You, just start. Don't let condemnation grip your heart for you can't change. You got to repent and go forward. Okay. Now, watch. Here's a question that always comes up. So we're, we're going we're gonna to tackle some tough questions tonight. Is that okay? This is my favorite one. Isn't tithing part of Moses' law and not the New Testament? And to that I say yes and no. And so then the question comes, so if it's part of Moses' law, what instruction and application do we have outside of or beyond the law? And I think those are good questions, as long as my motive's right when I ask them. That makes sense? I've heard people use it, tithing's Old Testament Moses' law. They, weren't, they didn't care if it was New Testament. They were just looking for an out. I'm going to tell you something about the Word of God and my heart related to finance. If I'm looking for an out, I will always find one. Because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. That makes sense? That's why we started with 2 Corinthians. As a man purposeth in his heart. You got to make up some things in your heart. Determine some things in your heart. Okay? So let's, let's see what we find in the scripture beyond Moses' law. Okay? If you want to read about Moses' law, go look. It's in a Leviticus. I think 18 talks a lot about tithing in Leviticus. That's Moses' law. We're not going to read that tonight. Question for you. Who is the wisest man that ever lived? We agree, Solomon. Okay. Would you take financial advice from Solomon? Raise your hand if you'd take financial advice from Solomon. I would. Who was the richest man that ever lived in his day? Who? Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. It'd probably be somebody worth listening to, the wisest man that ever lived, and the wealthiest man of his day. He may know something. Did Solomon write the law? No, it's not Solomon's law. It's Moses' law. Solomon wrote most of the book of Proverbs, and he had something to say. Let's see what he said, the wisest man that ever lived and the wealthiest of his generation. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. This is not the law. This is wisdom. Anybody interested in having wisdom regarding your finance? This is wisdom. Honor the Lord with what? With what? Your substance. What's your substance? You want to know what the Hebrew word is there? That word's translated in the Hebrew in two words. Riches and wealth. Honor the Lord with thy riches and wealth. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. That word first fruits is the beginning, the best, the chief, the first, the choice part. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits. Of what increase? What increase? No, just your employer increase. 
Oh, no, no, hold. Now, this verse, I heard this verse as a child. My mom would pull this verse out on me. My kids are saying, I did too. They just got what I got, right? Train up a child the way they should go when they're older, not depart from it, okay? Now, what? This is what I'd hear from my mom. I would, I'd get a card. I'd get a card for my birthday from my aunt and uncle, and it'd have a $5 bill in it. And my mom, she'd pull this scripture out. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. I was like, Mom, this is birthday money. And I learned that the tithe on $5 was 50 cents. And my mom taught me, honor the Lord. She didn't teach me. That's your duty. She taught me, honor the Lord with your substance. And the first fruit. Can I tell you something? I, I don't say this arrogantly. I say this so thankfully. I have never. I know that's a strong word, but I believe I can say this honestly. I have never struggled and wrestled with returning the tithe and giving an offering in my life. Not because I'm good. I'm not saying that boasting like, look, I'm such a, please don't misunderstand me tonight. I'm telling you the reason that is, is because my mom instilled it in me as a child. The honoring of the Lord with my substance. And so that when the time came that I was tempted not to in any way, it, it just didn't even affect me. Because it had become such a part of me, even as a child. And so what did I do? I did the same thing with my kids. I think about the time they were five years old. I started giving them, they, they, they got big allowances, except they weren't allowances. Because they had to do their chores no matter what. It wasn't like a deal. Okay. The only reason they got an allowance was because I wanted to teach them about money. They had to do what I asked them to do, not about, well, I didn't get my, no, no, you're going to do it, you, you know, there's consequences and it's not, you're not getting your allowance. You'll get that anyway. You'll, you'll, you'd rather me keep your allowance than the other consequences. And so, but like I would give them five bucks when they were five years old and they got a raise every time they had a birthday. When they were six, they got six bucks. Yeah, they weren't getting rich off of dad. <laughs> Obviously. Okay. And so, but the reason I would do that, I wanted to teach them about money. And so when they were five, they'd get five bucks and I didn't give them a $5 bill. I'd give them like, I don't know, a couple $1 bills and then like eight quarters and then like 10 dimes. Right. And so I wanted, so they started learning fractions. I wasn't caring about trying to teach them math. I was trying to teach them biblical principles of finance. So I was teaching them about tithes and offering. And so I was like, all right, you got five bucks, 10%. I think maybe the first time we did it, we did like all quarters or something so they could do like, okay, so out of every 10, you got to, you take one and one is returned back. It all came from God, but you're returning one of every 10 back to him. So they could figure that out, right? They could count the 10 by then. And so I'm like, okay, now all the rest, how crazy is this? Out of all those quarters, and 20 quarters, five bucks, right? 20 quarters. 
Maybe we did dimes so we could give them 50 and it looked like more. I don't remember. All right. That out of all those 20 quarters, two, they all came from God. He blessed you with all of them. You're giving two of them back to God. And he says, you can keep. No, yeah, you can keep the other 18. How cool is that? Even though it all came from him. Now, here's the deal. Out of those other 18, you get to decide. This is how we did it. Out of the other 18, you get to decide how many of those you want to give him as your offering. That's your free will. That makes sense. Probably get in trouble for sharing this story, but I'll deal with it. It marked my life. Your kids can teach you a lot. I remember the first time we did that with my daughter, Autumn. We said, okay, yeah, these go to the Lord and the rest is yours. How much do you want to give for the offering? She said, well, I want to give all of it. And at first I was like, no, no, you don't have to. And I caught myself. I'm like, is that what you want to do? Yeah. I'm like, okay, you give all of it. Almost made the mistake of robbing her of wanting to give all. See, that's not stingily giving. So, honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of all thine increase. So, when I got birthday money, when I got Christmas money, when I, I just, that's just the way it worked. And I knew it. And I grew up that way. And I taught my kids the same thing. Now, the reason the scripture used first fruits there is because if you go back and again, you read in Leviticus, you read in, in, in Moses' law, first fruits was of the crop. But remember, this is Solomon that's sharing this. He's not writing from a standpoint of the law. He's dispensing wisdom on, the, on giving and returning to the Lord and honoring the Lord. See, he saw giving as honoring the Lord. And first fruits, the word increase that you see there could be product, yield, crops, income, revenue, gain. Those are the six different ways that word increase is translated from the Hebrew throughout the Old Testament. And so I, I remember my grandfather had a two-acre farm. Some of you heard me tell about that. And I'd hear stories at... At camp meetings, back when they really were under tents, way back in the day before I was ever thought of, and before any of you were thought of, um, my grandparents, my grandfather would go through his garden, and he had a job. He worked for Alcoa Aluminum, but he would go through his two-acre garden. They had seven kids. They had to have a garden. And so, and what he would do is he would take potatoes and onions to the camp meeting. He would take the first fruits of his garden that was in season when they did camp. And he would load that up in his truck and the camp meeting so they would have food to feed people at the camp. He would take potatoes and onions down to the camp meeting. I, uh, we don't necessarily do that anymore because we have jobs and we do. But there's been time, and I'm not promoting this. I'm not trying to talk you into something. Let me just say that on the record. Okay, I don't want somebody going, oh, man, Elder's trying to, no, no, no. But I have had people through the years 
Uh, most of you know, brother, I embarrass him. Brother Jacinto has a big garden some years when I'll, I come home some days or he'd call me, brother Jacinto, come by him and sister Yadira would just drop a, uh, a basket or a box of vegetables and stuff out of their garden. They've been picking in their garden and, you know, we ate every bit of it and thanked God. I've had people give me stuff sometimes like, oh man, I don't like that stuff. We're going to eat it. <laughs> Why? Because they were honoring the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you that if you have a garden that you need to stop dumping stuff on my doors. <laughs> okay. I'm just sharing with you the principle that was in place here. You understand? Okay. But, but I think you should notice this in the terms of the first fruits. That first fruits, again, remember, it was the best, the chief, the choice. It wasn't like, you know, take the, take the stuff you call out and give that to the Lord and keep the best for yourself. Take the first fruits, that. And that's what they would return back to the Levites at the time. Again, it's an attitude of the heart that comes into play. Now, if that was the only verse, that's good because I'm honoring the Lord. But notice there's a colon at the end of that verse. There is a benefit to honoring the Lord. What's the benefit? Verse number 10. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Isn't it something, just like we read in Malachi, when we return to the Lord, that which he gave us anyway, and we honor him with the first fruits of our substance and all of our increase, he's like, you know what? You're not going to outdo what I will do for you. I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I'm going to cause your barns to burst forth. Some of you are like, I don't have barns. Your cupboard will burst forth. Amen? I, you know, one year, I've told this story before, but for those of you that one year, we are like, we got too many coats in our house. And it's winter. Winter's coming. We should take some coats. Let's clean them all out of our closet uh, between the five of us. Let's cull this down. And before winter gets here, now it's starting to go, let's just take them down to the gospel mission. That's alms. Okay? That's, a, that's an area of alms. Let's just take these coats. Let's take them down to the gospel mission. They'll distribute them as people need them. I kid you not. I got two coats for Christmas that year after we donated all those coats. I don't need the coats. I guess he was just obligated to his word. He's like, I got to give him coats now, though. I don't think he thought that. But it was almost like he was laughing at me. Like, he's like, I'm just going to show you. That's how it felt to me. In a good way. Does that make sense? Just. These are principles of the word of God. These are heart issues. We honor him. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Let me say this. Because I made reference like to what my mother taught me as like with birthdays and stuff like that. If you're not careful, you can take this and you can make it legalistic. Don't do that. It's a hard issue. You say, oh, my goodness, I got $10 for my birthday and I didn't pay. I didn't put a dollar in pot. Don't make it legalistic. The key is when I start looking for ways not to. That should be a warning to my spirit. Does that make sense? Um, it's not that I'm trying to cross. Man, I want to make sure I don't mess this up. I want to oh, hold on. Is this legal? Is this the right thing? No, no, it's not illegal. It's a relationship. Okay. But if I'm going, 
well, the Lord knows my heart, whether I return the tithe, then all of a sudden, right, it's a heart issue. Because he does talk about it. Okay, so fast forward here. We're still talking about outside of the law. Did Jesus address tithes and offering? He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. Study the Gospels. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. But watch. Matthew 23 and 23. Matthew 20. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. That's religious people. He said, you're hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now notice his last line. He said, these ought you to have done. What's he talking about that you ought to have done? The tithe. And not leave the other undone. He said, you should have paid attention to the weightier matters of the law and don't leave the other stuff undone. The the tithe that you were doing, I'm not telling you to leave that undone, but you're, you're focusing on this tithe, which is not even a weighty thing. And you're dismissing the weightier matters. He said you ought to have dealt with the weightier matters, but that's not an excuse. Don't leave the other undone. They were all the way down. He he brought those. Those are three little herbs. He was saying you are so detailed about making sure you give a tenth of every little herb out of your garden. Sort of picture my wife out cutting off pieces of cilantro. And you miss the weightier things. And you know what we do sometimes? Is we get so focused on the tithe. And we make it a big weighty thing rather than just seeing the benefits of the word of God. And the obedience to the word of God and the blessing that comes from it. That we really leave the weightier things undone. And we're getting hung up on something that's not a weighty thing. But yet Jesus said we ought not leave it undone. Does that make sense? We're not going to read it for sake of time, but you can read it in Luke eleven forty two. He said virtually it's the same thing. Mark 12 and Luke 21, those two chapters, you can make a note and read them later. This is why I said giving alms in secret doesn't mean you don't put money in the offering. Ah, no, Jesus, you know, Jesus said, don't be seen of men. No, again, it was an attitude of the heart and how they were presenting themselves. Because in Mark 12 and in Luke 21, Jesus sat down by the temple treasury. And he watched people come by and put into the treasury. And as he was watching, he called his disciples over to him. And he wanted them to notice the people's giving. Anybody remember that? Because he said people came by and gave her their abundance. And then this widow came by and she just had two mites and she put it in. And Jesus said she's put in more than all of them because they gave out of their abundance. But she gave out of all her living. You might remember that story. It really happened. I want you to notice something about that. He highlighted not the amount that was given. But the proportion relative to what they had. That tells me what stood out to him was the percentage, not the dollar figure. Does that make sense? He highlighted the proportion. 
As every man purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, many other places, we're not going to go through it for sake of time, but many other places, we're, again, we're talking about tithing offering outside of the law. Jesus addressed money. His pattern of teaching on it was often focused on what one did with what they had, not how much or how little they had. I'll give you another example on the other end of the spectrum from the two mites. Anybody remember him telling the story of the person that got five talents and two talents and one talent? That's money, you know. If you read it in the different gospels, at one place it was it was amount of money, five, two, and one. The one that had five went and invested it and doubled it, right? The one that had two went and invested it and doubled it. They now had four. The one that had one went and hid it, and the Lord returned and said, what is this? You got five. He said, now it's ten. Well done. The one that two, now you got four. Well done. The one that had one, he said, what are you doing? You knew that I reaped where I didn't sow. Why did you not take my money and at least? Remember that? And what did Jesus say? You know what? The one guy's got ten. He should distribute to the one with the one. Is that what he said? No, he said, take the one. Whoa, 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 that's all he's got, Lord. Yeah, but he wasn't faithful with what he had. See, here's the, this is why I share that. Because sometimes we say, if I had more, I'd give. I'd be faithful in the returning of the tithe and giving of my offering if I had more. Jesus said, you weren't faithful in the little. So I'm going to take that from you. And give it to the one that's got four. It's not what he said, is it? He said, give it to the one that's got the most. What? Why would you give it to the one that has the most? Because the one that has the most will take what you put in his hand. And he'll use it in a manner that pleases me. They'd proven themselves. They'd proven themselves. And so... We learn faithfulness in the small things, all right? You know, you can give your way out. I'm not meaning being foolish, but you can be spiritually disciplined according to the word of God with a right heart and a cheerful heart. And God will begin to turn your financial situation as you begin to be faithful in your finances. And stop believing the lie of the adversary that says, I just can't because what he's doing is he's keeping you in a trap. I know this from my own life. So again, his focus was not how much or how little they had. It's what they did with what they had. We know a tithe is a tenth. We understand that. That's where we get the idea of 10% from. The word tithe literally means a tent. I want to look at two other places in Scripture quickly. Genesis chapter 14. I have a question for you. Real question, not a trick question. Okay. Are we under Moses' law? Are we under Moses' law? No, we're not under the law. Some of you are like, hold on a minute. I think my man. I told you it's not a trick question. I, I, I could ask questions like that and look around the room real quick, and I can tell people that just don't want to be wrong. Just answer the question. If you're wrong, I'm not going to, like, call you out and slap your hand with a ruler or something. Okay. No, we're not under Moses' law. So 
just a little side note there. Stop fearing failure. It's okay. It's safe. He picks us up again. All right. So we're not under the law. Are we under promise? Not a trick question. Are we under promise? Who'd the promise start with? Who? We agree. Okay, good. I love it. Genesis 14. Remember, we're, we're still answering that question. Isn't tithe part of Moses' law? So what instruction and application do we have outside of the law? Well, that's a great question when it's asked with a pure motive. Genesis 14, verse 18. We're skipping a bunch because of time. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram. This is before he was Abraham. Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, who is the possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 19, 20. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies to thy hand. And he, he is Abraham, Abram at this time, gave him, him Melchizedek, tithes of what? Abram gave Melchizedek, the high priest of the Lord, tithe or a tenth of all. Was Abram operating under the law when he did this? Not a trick question. Was Abram? A no, the law hadn't been given yet. So why did Abraham do that? Relationship with God, heart, faith. Well, yeah, but that's still Old Testament. True. But you just said we were under promise. And the promise started with Abram. Hebrews. I'll really give you hope now. We'll go to the New Testament. We've been in the New Testament. I Let me say this. No one here has ever brought this question to me. I know I'm saying let me give you hope. I'm. To my knowledge, no one here has dealt with this issue of whether, but maybe, it, but it's important to talk about it because it will come up. So let's see what the scripture says, because our goal is not, God forbid, we become legalistic. It's a hard issue. But the scripture does teach us about it and set direction in the matter. Okay. Hebrews chapter seven, starting with verse number one. I'm going to read fast. For this Melchizedek, oh, where'd that name come from? We just read it in Genesis, right? Abraham gave him a tenth of all. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham. Notice he was Abram, but by the time we get to Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, no, nah, he was already Abraham. His name may not have been changed by God yet, but who he was was already set. Who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Keep going. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that, king of Salem, which is king of peace. Verse 3. Without father, without mother, now it's describing Melchizedek. Without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, Melchizedek, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Verse 5. 
And truly, they that are of the sons of Levi, now he stepped into the law. Okay, he's drawn a comparison between Abraham of promise, giving a tenth of all. And now the writer of Hebrews is stepping to the law and the tribe of Levi. Okay, because the Levitical priests received the tithe under Moses' law. You with me? Melchizedek was not of the Levitical priesthood. But Abram gave him a tenth of all. So the writer of Hebrews is drawing this distinction. And truly, they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. That is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. So he's drawing a distinction between what Abraham did outside of the law to what Levi's doing, right? He's trying to answer this for them. Verse number six. But he whose descent is not counted from them, that's Melchizedek. What does it mean his descent is not counted from them? It means he was not of the tribe of Levi. That's all he's saying. But Melchizedek, who is not a descendant of Levi, that's what that means. He received tithes. Hold on. He wasn't the one who's supposed to receive tithes. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This was not about the law and the tithe going to the Levites. Abram, your father of the faith, in promise, gave tithes to somebody that wasn't of the tribe of Levi. It was outside of the law. Does that make sense? He received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the, what? Not the law, but the promises. Verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less, that's the law, the Levite under the law, is blessed of the better. That's Abraham and Melchizedek, those of promise. Verse 8, and here men that die receive tithes. Oh, oh. Where's here? The writer of Hebrews, wherever here was. And here, men that die receive tithes, Levitical priesthood. But there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Because Melchizedek was without beginning and without end. Okay. And as I may say so, Levi also who receiveth tithes. Watch what it says about Levi. He paid tithes in Abraham. Well, those that were under the law that received the tithe. The writer of Hebrews just said they paid tithes. How did they do that? Well, that's what verse 10 tells us. They paid tithes in promise. For he, Levi, was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Does that make sense? Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful to me. And it's very powerful when you study it out and search it. So it's in the New Testament. It's in promise. There's something to recognize here. And I'll finish with this part. And I'll answer these questions that we didn't answer already. Jesus, we referenced this at prayer Monday night. Jesus said, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies, right? But I say unto you, what? Love your enemies, right? And he kept doing this. You have heard it said that. But I say to you, he was always saying, take it further, take it further, take it further. In the Old Testament, the Levitical law, it was a tithe, a tenth. 
You ever see what happened in the New Testament when people decided to give? They gave it all. Some people are like, hold on, I like 10% a whole lot better than where. <laughs> Let's go back to the 10%. They who had land sold it and came and brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What happened? Some of you get nervous. Don't get nervous. I'm not telling you, you need to start bringing it all. It's a heart issue. But the tithe is still biblical, even in the New Testament. But the heart in the New Testament, once it was filled with the Spirit of God, never just looked at the tithe. There's some out of a, as a man purposeth in his heart, so let me give. For God loves a cheerful giver. A tithe is the return that God asks for out of all he gives us. An offering is what you and I of our own free will choose to give to honor the Lord. I decided somewhere along the way, Call me crazy. You'd probably be justified in doing so. I decided somewhere along the way, I never wanted to just give the minimum to God. That's how I viewed it. And I have found through my 52 years of living, I just can't outgive Him. I like trying. Sort of fun. I don't have time tonight, but if you ever want to know the story, ask me. I gave away a car. It wasn't very long later. In the same week, I had two cars given to me. I don't know how many cars I've had to, got to give away now. I don't have any plans to give one away anytime soon, just in case you're like, oh, eh. but I've had cars given to me again and again. I didn't give them to try to get a car. That wasn't my motive. There was an opportunity presented. I wanted to engage. And God said, I'm not letting you give and me not return. I have things I've said in my word that I'm going to do in your life. That car I told you I sold today, you know why I think I got 308,000 miles out of it? Because he rebuked the devourer. He rebukes the devourer. How does he rebuke the devourer? That doesn't always mean that he puts more money in your bank account. I haven't been in the hospital. I can't tell you the last time I went to the doctor. Why? He's rebuked the devourer. I don't remember taking my kids to the doctor, except for when they did something silly and shoved something in their nose or their ear or someplace they shouldn't have shoved something off of a tree or a plant or something or whatever. Other than that, or disobeyed and we're playing football with one of Brother Sanchez's kids outside. <laughs> that wasn't a shot at Brother Sanchez. It was both of our kids. My kid was outside, too. Told him they shouldn't be outside on a Wednesday night after church in the streets of Wapato. <laughs> but they did anyway, and they were playing football and busted a lip bit. Oh, I guess it was a Sunday bit right through their lip. That wasn't autumn, in case you were wondering. <laughs> wasn't Ethan either. 
We'll pick on the one that's not here. But, but we haven't, haven't had to take my kids to the doctor. Haven't had to take my kids to the hospital. It's not because I'm good. I was, he's rebuking the devourer. I mean, my bank account's overflowing and full. He just rebukes the devourer. However he wants to do it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to answer some questions that came in and we'll finish here. Those are some biblical things about tithes and all, and we just scratched the surface. We spoke to some very scriptural things to understand. And if you have more questions we don't cover here, ask them. Let me talk to you about life church structure, okay? Our structure as a, organiz- as a, a congregation. As you know, we have multiple congregations, west side and east side. We have centralized funds, okay? When you give here, when you return your tithe and give your offering, I don't know what you do or don't give. I think I've shared that before. Uh, I don't see that. I don't look at that. Uh, that gets done, it gets deposited, it goes into a central account for life church as a whole. Okay? We believe the scripture. We see it in Acts 2, we see it in Acts 4 that talks about they had all things common. And so we, we've been able to do things to start and do building projects outside of here that we felt like you know, you saw what we did uh, back in the summer where we rented a facility in Mattawa, had meals, did food, fed people that came and did all of that. Okay. We don't look and go, hold on, how much does the Sela congregation have available? We look and go, this is what's available in Life Church. Is this something we can do? I don't make that decision individually. We submit that decision. We have what we call an. Um, uh, elder, a, a council of elders. I lost the term that we used for it. I was, I had all these acronyms stuck in my head. Um, and so it's made up of a group. And so, but oftentimes, depending on the amount, we'll submit it to Bishop and Sister Schoonover. The other elders may look at it and they'll say, yep, we agree. So there's accountability. I don't, I don't have a checkbook I carry around and write checks. I don't do that. Um, so we have all things common and we operate in that manner. Now you say, well, who's, keep, who's, keeping, who's keeping us accountable? That's a great question. This is life church structure. We believe there should be accountability. So we have what we call an external board of trustees. This is made up of four different men, one that oversees multiple congregations in Maryland, one that oversees multiple congregations in Oklahoma, one that oversees multiple congregations in Oregon, and one that oversees multiple congregations in uh, San Diego. Those four men make up our external board. And every year, those four men come together with Bishop and Sister Schoonover, and they review all of Life Church's financial stuff, and they give an account to them. And if Life Church is going, when we got ready to purchase this property, we saw an opportunity to purchase this property. Before we move forward, we submitted it to that external board of trustees told them what we were looking at, and would did they approve of that or not? We have accountability. Okay? You, you probably witness and know 
all of the elders of the congregations have jobs outside of the church. Okay. We do derive income from the church, but we don't derive our livelihood from the church. Does that make sense? Okay. The church work is not my job. It's my calling. It's not my job. Do I believe there may be a time where the church, the way it's growing, that, hey, I'm having to work with, I, I can't continue to do both? That may come. And if so, God has a plan for that. But the church is not my job. It's my calling. Okay? So this is life church structure. So there's accountability built in. I don't spend... You say, well, how does that accountability work? If I want to spend more than $300, I get approval before I spend it. That's how accountable we are. Not of my own money. If I want to spend $300 related to the church. Why? Because they don't trust me? No, no, no. Accountability. We want accountability because it's not our money. When you and I give, we're not giving to Life Church. I write Life Church on my check. But I'm not giving to Life Church. I'm returning it to the Lord. And those people whose hands that have governance of it, they're not answering to me. I released it to the Lord. That's why I don't worry about what they do with it. Some people really worry about, well, what are they doing with my money? Well, hold on a minute. When you returned it to the Lord, it wasn't yours anyway. I released Well, but what if they this? What if they that? Then they're answering to God. They're not answering to me, but we have accountabilities built in place as well. Okay? It's important to know. So, so I'm, I'm going to tell you just a few things here that to give you an example. Because we talked about, um, we talked about, what happened to my phone? There we go. We talked about alms and giving and different things like that. Here's some examples. Just This is from last year. Okay, 2022. We support the Guzmans in Italy and Ireland. Many of you know that. We gave them just shy of $15,000 last year. Um, the Masons, a family that was in Azerbaijan, uh, just shy of 2000 last year. The Tomievs, that family in the Ukraine, uh, a little over $5,000 last year. Uh, Global Missions, which supports multiple missionaries, uh, we gave... Uh, over $11,000 last year. So if you did math, there's over $30,000 right there that went international just in 22. Okay. In terms of supporting people spreading the gospel. Humanitarian relief. Okay, this is benevolence. This is alms. This is helping compassionate giving. Uh, the situation in Ukraine, because we have, we sent more than $5,000 worth of supplies uh, to the Ukraine. We did that because of people we have there. They said, you send us money. It does us no good because we can't buy anything. Shelves are empty. If you could, this is what we need. And so we found out what they needed. We bought the goods and shipped them. We sent over $5,000 worth of supplies. Uh, and that's probably above 
funds that we sent them. I think that number actually may be funds we sent along with all the supplies that aren't accounted for. Uh, some of you remember the flooding in Florida that took place and the devastation that happened down there. Uh, we sent $10,000 there to help with um, families affected in an area there. Um, we do different offerings here. I'm just running quickly. And this, this is not everything. I'm just giving you an understanding of, okay. Uh, home missions, we call it a Christmas for Christ offering. Home missions, $2,800. Uh, Save Our Children, 860 Mother's Memorial, 2200 uh, This doesn't count funds that maybe you gave directly that you didn't give through Life Church. We only have record of what came if you send an offering directly, like at a lady's thing or something, and you handed it over to, we don't count. That's not counted in this total. Um, Sheaves for Christ, which helps buy vehicles for foreign missionaries, 3,300, a little over that. Uh, apostolic man, 1,000. Different district meetings, like summer conference to help those things, $5,000. Um, we support uh, ministers that have retired. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Um, Unfortunately, years ago, ministers didn't always uh, uh, do the best in preparing themselves for retirement. So we support ministers that retired. Um, and last year, to give you an example, uh, that was just shy of $45,000 that we gave to help support that. Okay. And then we have sort of this broad bucket. Again, this is an all-inclusive. I'm just giving you some examples from the last year. We have an area that we call benevolence. That's a need that comes our way that we recognize. Maybe a family's in need. Maybe this happened medically and somebody needs some assistance. Whatever. Different ways. Just shy of $12,000 last year. We're accountable. And I want you to know that. And this is made possible by your faithfulness in the returning of the tithe and the giving of the offering. It's impacting lives. Does it do other things? Of course. The lights don't stay on for free. Okay. We just put fuel oil in the tank. Aren't you thankful so that it's warm in here? He was like, it's too warm. Well, the fuel that we put in the tank was $1,200 just to fill, put fuel in the tank just a couple weeks ago. But we thank God for that. We thank God for that. Don't the bathrooms look nice? They all match. We need to do those things. But we seek to be wise and accountable in that. Amen. Because it's kingdom. Um, I, I'm aware of the time. Here's some questions I have that came to me. Is it sinful to spend money before you write your check for tithes and all? I used to, when I was younger, I would always hear, as soon as you get paid, you write out your check for tithes and offering before anything else. Well, that worked well before the days of electronic banking. Okay. Again, it's a hard issue. It's not a legal issue. Don't make it a legal issue. It's a hard issue. All right. I, I, I've paid for my, I've paid my mortgage. I would make my mortgage payment because I wouldn't come into church until Sunday and it was a Friday. I'd make my mortgage payment, and then I'd come put my tithes in the offering on Sunday. It's a hard issue, not a legal issue. Um, 
family and friends give dollars for a purpose. Here's 50 bucks for you and Sister Hart. Go out to dinner. Here's $200. Please go buy your kids' coats. Okay? Again, it's not legalistic. I don't, if somebody gave me a gift card, I don't go, man, I need to figure out how do I get a tenth off this gift card and get it. Okay, it's a hard issue. I'm not looking for a way out, you understand? But I'm not so legalistic in it that I'm like, every single penny, every God's watching every, it's my heart. Okay, I can tell you one time my wife and I got bumped from a flight. And, and they gave us $2,000, 1000 each, these American Express gift cards. They didn't give us vouchers. They gave us a gift card. American Express gift card. You could spend wherever you want. $2,000 between the two of us. And uh, I was pretty excited about that. It's just cool. Uh, what are we going to do? I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do with it. And, uh, and we were in a service. Again, this is an example. This isn't, a, I'm trusting. I can only tell you my examples. I'm not trying to boast, brag, or, but the Lord dealt with me. And there was an offering taken. I'm like, babe, we just got these. We weren't expecting these. And we knew the Lord dealt with us. The $2,000 was for the offering. It wasn't for us. Okay. So it's a heart issue. Okay. Now, when I go, well, I got paid. I don't know that I'm going to give a tenth back. Well, that's a heart issue, but it's also a word issue. Right? Spirit and word. Um, how do you determine offering amounts? It's always a fun question. As a man purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Okay, I told you the story of Autumn and her. Let your heart determine. I realize you got to have budgets and be wise. Okay. You may want to say, hey, I want to give my whole paycheck, but hold on. The family does have to eat. We, we do have to pay for this house we live in. Okay. But let it be your heart, a generous heart. Um, somebody said, what about like, what if I get government, government assistance, uh, you know, food stamps or WIC? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to, again, don't make it legalistic. Um, it's a hard issue. I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine. I, I would say, talk to the Lord about it. You're getting that assistance, but if you get wick, don't, you know, don't go bring me your box of checks, mix and cheese, a 10th of the day, right? <laughs> that you get, uh, you say, how do you know that? Well, because you know, that season I was telling you about when we didn't know if we were going to eat or not. Well, because Ethan was born, we got wick. We didn't get food stamps, but we got wick for him. Peanut butter, Cheerios, and cheese, and milk. Amen. But I don't think we ever took a gallon of milk to Bishop and Sister Schoonover. And I, and I don't. I, we did give stuff away at times because some of the stuff they'd give us more than we. And so we gave it away. I guess that was alms. But we I, I wasn't trying to figure out the tithe on what we were getting from Wick. The Lord knew my heart. I was faithful in my finance and returning to him. 
Um, last question I have, and the, I had more questions, but I answered some of them in the teaching that we did tonight. Last question I received. This one comes up a lot. Do you give tithes on gross or on net? Isn't that a fun question? So here, I'm going to let you answer that question. All right. Who's 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 pretty good at math in the room? Raise your hand if you're like, I'm pretty good at math. This isn't I, this isn't there's not going to get a hard question like what's one and three quarters divided by two point seven five and then multiplied by three point eight. No, no, like who's who's good at math, like pretty simple numbers. You're good at math. Like only one person in the whole room. We are in trouble. Nobody can do math. Okay, here, let's work together. I think we can all do this. Let's say, let's say we're finishing with this right here. Unless you have questions, I'm going to give you a chance. If you have questions, I want to answer them. Gross or net? You're answering this question, okay? Are you ready? Let's say, I'm, I'm sort of picking a number here that's pretty close to market right now. Let's say you make $20 an hour. Is that, is that fair? Okay. Uh, some of you are like, no, man, I want that job. Okay, but that, that's, that's happened a lot. That, okay. Let's say $20 an hour. Okay. Uh, that's not a ton, but that's not minimum wage either. Okay. And I use 20 because it's a good round number. And if I use 10, 10 is below minimum wage. So nobody, right. So that's why I picked 20. I want an even number. If I'd have said 17, we'd have been in trouble. Okay. So if you make $20 an hour and you work 40 hours a week, how much money did you make? How much? 800. All right. Now, so how much is your tithe? How come your tithe is $80? Why? You made $800, right? Did you bring home $800? Why didn't you bring home $800? <laughs> I'm not trying to make this negative all of a sudden. No, right. <laughs> taxes. Okay. Where'd the taxes come from? No, I mean, like, where'd the money for the taxes come from? Where? Your earnings. You earned $800. Out of your $800, you paid taxes, right? So do you pay tithes on the 800 you earned or do you pay tithes on what you had left after that you paid your taxes? After, after. Right? If you hadn't earned 800, you wouldn't have been able to pay any taxes. Right? This is why I say it's not about writing the check first for tithes and offering because you're paying your taxes before you ever pay your tithes. And if you have a 401k, you're contributing to your 401k out of your paycheck before you ever pay your tithes. And if you pay for medical insurance, you're paying for that out of your earnings before you ever pay for your tithes. But I have a question. Did you, if you pay for medical insurance out of your paycheck, did you purchase medical insurance? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, it's not a true Yes, you purchased it. You had purchasing power because of what you earned. Okay. That makes sense. Do you know that years ago, 
the government didn't take the taxes out of your paycheck when you got paid? None of you know that. <laughs> I didn't live when that was the case, but I know that was the case years ago. They wouldn't take your taxes. You would get paid and then you would submit your taxes. But the government realized, hold on a minute, there's too much. We'll take it out of every paycheck. We'll make it easier for everybody. And you know what happens? Then when taxes go up, you don't even notice. You just realize your check's different. If there's a new tax, you don't notice because it just gets added and it comes out of your check. And so you don't pay attention. You just go, this is what I bring home. But the reality is I got paid $20 an hour for 40 hours. And out of that 800, I paid taxes because I'm a law-abiding citizen. Out of that 800, I chose to put some in my 401k because I'm supposed to consider the ant and store some away. Out of that 800 I earned, I paid for some medical and dental insurance because it's available. But I earned all 800. That was all increase. Now, you can do what you want with that. I'm not. It's not worth splitting hairs over to me because it's a hard issue. I know some people that are like, I just pay on what I bring home. And then if I get tax refund at the end of the year, I pay tithe on that. I, I'm not. You can get so legalistic that it's no longer a hard issue. 